listening to First Church Charlotte. preaching today from this subject, which apologies, it's going to be a little bit of a downer. It is in the form of a question, but before we're done, it's going to be a little bit of an upper. You see how that goes? Uh, Where do you take your tears? Where do you take your tears? And as I always do, I try to take a sacred story. Now, what is a sacred story? Great question. It's a story given to us in the scripture. Uh, These stories are not accidental. They're not random. Uh, Each story is filled with spiritual purpose and meaning. And so as a Bible teacher, as a pastor, as someone who is himself, myself, wanting to grow in spiritual things, uh, as someone who is wanting to communicate spiritual things, uh, my goal is always to take a sacred story and then make it live for you in such a way where you understand it and you're able to apply it to your world, apply it to your needs. God has a plan for you and he has a desire to transform you from an old version limited by sin, yes, into a new version empowered by the spirit. Can I have a big amen from all the church folks? And so I have a question, and I will tell you a story. Uh, The story is going to be the story of Mary Magdalene uh, coming to the garden and there uh, discovering the tomb is empty. We are fast approaching Easter, and I have been thinking a lot about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it has begun to creep into my preaching as it always does as I focus upon it. It'll start creeping into my preaching, and by the time Easter gets here, you will have heard me preach two or three messages on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But truly, He is our hope. Amen. And so I am telling you the story of Mary Magdalene. But before I tell you a sacred story, I want to tell you an ordinary story. Uh, If you've ever been around two-year-old little people, uh, you know they are a barrel of fun, and they're also a little barrel of trouble, and they uh, enjoy exploring their world, and they enjoy interacting with it, and they do not care uh, the result of that interaction and what it it looks like. Um, I have had two different little people in my house. And it was such a fun age. Some people call it the terrible twos. That wasn't my experience. Um, it, uh, maybe that was your experience, but maybe your kids are just like you. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, you can't blame them. It's genetic, right? And so uh, uh, little people are super fun and they do funny things. Like my wife, when she was little, she would go around and write her name on the walls of the house and then her mother would ask her who had done it, and she would be like, I don't know, <laughs> not me. I would never write my name on the wall. And so, uh, true story, funny story, Ben and Jackie Belknap uh, had been saving money for a while to pay off a debt they owed to their parents. And uh, they had an envelope, and they would put, they would put, every time they had extra money, they would put it in that envelope. And over time, they had over $1,000 in that envelope. And one day, the envelope came up missing. Well, this is uh, of no small concern. Uh, so it's a lot of money, and it takes a while to save up a lot of money. And uh, they are turning the house upside down, uh, trying to find this envelope full of money. 
And then a terrible thought struck Jackie, and she remembered that here recently her two-year-old son had been fascinated with the shredder. And she had allowed him to help her uh, shred some work papers that she had. And uh, filled with fear, she went out to uh, the trash that had the bag from the shredder and she tore into it. And sure enough, uh, the envelope filled with $1,000 had been uh, completely shredded and the trash was filled with a shredded amount of $1,000 plus. And she said the first thing she did was break down into tears. It had taken them a while to save $1,000. And uh, she knew it wasn't her son's fault. He had just had a very good day. And, <laughs> and she first just wept. And then afterwards, she laughed. And uh, what do you do? Uh, well, she knew now she had a wonderful story. And then someone told her and her husband about a small division at the Federal Reserve called Mutilated Currency Division. And she called the Mutilated Currency Division, and they laughed with her. And they said, yes, if you'll just bag up all of that mutilated money and send it to us, we will send you an exact amount of perfectly whole, uh, fresh uh, $100 bills. And so uh, with no small joy, she picked all the shredded money out of her uh, trash and she sent them a baggie full of two-year-old destruction and joy. And they sent her uh, fresh currency. Uh, that's a fun story, right? Um, what I guess as a preacher, it leads me to ask you this question. What do you do with your messes? Now, don't act like you don't have messes. Um, uh, I've lived a little too long for that. I've been through enough, and I'm not impressed with your righteousness. i just be honest with you. No matter how righteous you are, I'm not impressed. I know the many tricks of hiding the real you. I'm not impressed with how powerful you are. I'm not impressed with how holy you are. I know that you could very much be a church ninja, and no one sees the real you. Guilty laughter from this section over here. (laughs) And so I want you to see that none of us are very righteous. All of us, however, have the opportunity to begin a process of spiritual transformation in our life where God takes our hand in his hand. He gives us, a lo- uh, gives us a spiritual solution to the old nature. And over time, this process of uh, both redemption, uh, repentance, renewal, confession will turn into a type of spiritual sanctification in your life where not only are you able to take on his righteousness, but your life begins to have a testimony of his transform his transforming power do you see and so uh let me ask you a similar question what do you do i asked you what do you do with the messes in your life now let me ask you this what do you do with the tears in your life Uh, we all have tears i don't have to be very depressing and i don't have to tell you too many depressing stories hopefully to get you to acknowledge that we all have tears uh, in our life what causes us to weep 
what fills our hearts with sorrow? Well, how about a laundry list? Loss breaks our heart. Pain breaks our heart. Sorrow breaks our heart. Evil, human evil, breaks our heart. Trauma breaks our heart. And life uh, puts us in a shredder of loss, pain, sorrow, evil, and trauma. And when you come other side, excuse me, my mic is uh, uh, causing me trauma, pain, loss, evil, and sorrow. Um, when you come out on the other side of that, you often will feel uh, if there's anything that can be done with what is left. I'm not trying to be depressing. I'm trying to be real. After you go through the shredder, is there anything uh, valuable? Is there anything useful? Can God do anything? with what is left. And so I want to give you a uh, reality check if, if you will allow me. Uh, all my notes are available online if you want to download them for your own uh, uh, thoughts, memories, or uh, criticism. It's all there. I get it all. Um, number one, the first reality check is this. Um, evil is the downside of free will. Uh, you can't blame God for free will. Uh, you have to, uh, well, let me say it differently. You can't blame God for evil. You can blame God for free will. You can wish that you had been born in a world where people didn't have free will, and you can wish that God had not made a world of autonomous, um, sovereign individuals. Um, you can blame God for that. And you can say God should not have created a world where people have choice. But if you're going to allow God to create a world where people have choice, you can no longer blame God for evil. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, so uh, let me give you some scripture, Romans 5, uh, verse number 12. Sin came into the world because of, what, because of what one man did, and with sin came death. Uh, reality check number two, everything on earth is broken by evil and sin, Matthew 24 and 12. There will be more and more evil in the world, so most people will stop showing their love for each other. This is, if you'll allow me to label it this, this is the cynicism cycle. Uh, because there's pain, I will withdraw. Because there's pain, I will accuse. Because there's loss, I will hide. And this creates this cynicism cycle. Uh, everything on this planet is broken by evil and sin, including the person telling you that, and including all of you who are hearing that. Do you see? Uh, this is the second reality check for us. And here's the third reality check for all of us. Um, we do not grieve alone when we are struck by loss, pain, sorrow, evil, and trauma. God grieves with us. Now, this is very important because if you are simplistic, if your personal philosophy is, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep, what you'll do is you'll blame God for pain as though you never understood free will. If you go deeper and you say, okay, I accept a world of free will, therefore I can't blame God for pain, loss, and suffering. If you get a little deeper to that point, now you are ready to see deeper still, and that is this pain, loss, suffering, trauma, and the tragedy of the world does not just cause you to mourn, it causes God to mourn with you. Let me give you another scripture. 
scripture, Isaiah 63, verse number 9, and all their suffering, God suffered too. And all their suffering, he suffered too. How about Psalms 60, 56, verse number 8? You, Lord, keep a record of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle and list each one in your book. Yes, this is poetic language. Yes, God doesn't need to keep a database and God doesn't need to keep a storeroom. In truth of the eternal spiritual now, uh, the Lord is aware of every pain, every loss, every tear, and God has walked with you through every one. It did not simply break your heart, it broke God's heart too. If you can see this, now you're able to understand redemption. Now you're able to understand the work of Jesus Christ. Now, if you do not see this and you're still blaming God for evil because you never accepted free will, then you don't really understand and you're not ready for redemption because you still think of evil as formula by God, not choice by you. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Uh, I'm getting into deeper water, and I know my wife is going to give me the speech after service that none of that really made much sense to her. So (laughs) she keeps me practical, even though she's much better educated than I am. You, O Lord, know everything I've gone through. You, O Lord, know every tear that I've cried. Can I have an amen? Lord, you have walked with me through every sorrow. Now I'm ready to see Christ as a man of sorrow. Because when I was hurting, he was hurting too. Now I'm ready to see him as a friend that sticks closer than a brother because now I see this world is not his fault. Does that is that helpful? Now I'm able to see him wearing a crown of thorns. Why? That's my pain, that's my sin. Now I'm able to see him saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do because it's my error. It's my tragedy. It's my loss. It's my trauma. And it broke his heart too. The difference is I couldn't do anything about it, but he could. Oh, come on, somebody. That's some fine preaching right there. I have to say amen to myself on that. The difference is I couldn't do anything about it, but he could. And he chose, somebody say he chose, he chose to do something about it. Dearly beloved, having gathered on this fine August occasion, I'm here to tell you, God loves you enough to get involved in your junk. God loves what comes out on the other side of the shredder of trauma, pain, loss, and sorrow. All right, now you're ready for the story of Mary Magdalene, and she, uh, unique in the Scripture. We know more about her than any other woman in the Bible, even more than uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, she is mentioned uh, a lot, more than most of the apostles, more than any other woman uh, in the Gospels, including the family of Jesus. Um, she, because of her name, she came from a, we know she came from a small town, Magdala, that is on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's a rural area, and it is, uh, 
the town kind of had a bad reputation because it was in many ways kind of like a port city uh, where all of the sailors of uh, different nations come and uh, then there kind of springs up a vice uh, uh, culture in that city uh, because of that. And uh, as a result, a lot of people have thought of Mary as a woman of ill repute. I've heard preachers, and I have been maybe myself, I may have uh, mentioned that she is remembered by tradition to be even a harlot. I want to be clear, the Bible does not say that, and we have no formal history that says that. It is, uh, shall we say, a little bit of a rumor. Um, It may be the case. We don't know that scripturally. This is what we know scripturally. The Bible uh, tells us that Jesus delivered her from demonic oppression and demonic possession. And the number is highly significant. Seven seven uh, demons is what the Bible says. Uh, that may be literal. It may be symbolic. Uh, it may be a sign that her whole life was under the power of uh, demonic control because in sacred writing, seven often represents a completeness, a wholeness. Um, and so it may have been her whole life was uh, held in that type of a complete demonic oppression or possession. Other places you see that used is uh, you forgive seven times while you forgive until it's complete. The just man gets back up seven times until he's complete. How many times does he get back up? As many as he needs to. How many times should you forgive? Seven? No, 70 times seven. Uh, You get the idea. Uh, She had seven demons and she was delivered. Her whole life was one of complete possession and control by her spiritual enemy. And she was set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. That said, she was not just a Uh, average woman. She was a woman of substantial wealth. She was a woman of um, uh, ability, and she was very instrumental in in, in supporting uh, the disciples as they traveled, supporting the ministry of Jesus. Uh, We know that from the Scripture. Uh, Like the Apostle Paul, uh, much uh, like you see in the story of the Apostle Paul, uh, there were oftentimes uh, wealthy women who were able to see uh, spiritual anointing before the powers or uh, even the men. There were wealthy men too, like uh, uh, Nicodemus, like uh, Joseph of Arimathea. But it's people like this who were supporting and able to make ministry possible. Uh, I want you to see that oftentimes, uh, oftentimes uh, women have a tremendous addition uh, to the work of ministry. That's why we as a church have included women uh, in our ministry team. And I know some people aren't, uh, they disagree with that. That's fine for them. They should go find a church that fits them. Uh, we do here. Uh, I want you to see her not just as a loser, not just as a street person, not just as someone who had no hope. I don't even want you to see her primarily as a, a harlot of legend or rumor. I want you to see her as a fairly wealthy, fairly capable, capable person. Even so, her life is in a complete, total mess. And Jesus speaks hope to her. Jesus speaks life to her. 
and she becomes an integral part of his ministry. Uh, she's not counted in the 12, but she is counted in the 70. Uh, and this 70 represents a, letter, a level of spiritual leadership among the ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, she is there, uh, notably there, at his crucifixion when others were fearful, when others were afraid. She stood there and was with him in uh, his passion. And she mourns and she weeps and she holds the mother of Jesus and uh, there are other Marys there at this uh, moment. Mary is a very common name in the Gospels. Of uh, It's a unique name. And uh, there's uh, four different Marys, and they're all uh, there close to the story. And uh, she's a person of ability. She's a person of competence. Uh, she takes lead in caring for the body. It's not her tomb, but she takes lead in caring for the body. The spices that would have been purchased would have been expensive. The mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, had no wealth. Uh, her husband was a blue-collar worker of sorts, and she had been a long-time widow by this time. But Mary of Mag- uh, Magdala, she probably led this, do you see? And uh, here she is... Uh, kind of taken charge. She's that kind of a person. Uh, She's able to get things done. She's competent. She can control her emotions. She doesn't fall apart. She has grace under pressure. That kind of a woman. And here Jesus has made everything in her life whole. Her life has gone through a a shredder. But Jesus was the mutilation department. And he said, give me whatever you have left. Just give me whatever you have left and I'll make you whole. I'm not happy with what you did with your life either. Do you see? Does that help you? I'm not happy with the mess you made either. You're not the only one mourning around here. I'm mourning too. But just give me whatever you have left. Just put it in a baggie. (laughs) And just mail it in. (laughs) And I will make you whole. And now this one who gave her her life back has been crucified for a accusation and a crime and a fraudulent claim that was not true of him. Uh, he was crucified as a religious. He becomes a symbol of religious fear. Uh, religious people try to be good until you threaten what they believe, and then they're as bad as anybody, anywhere. True story. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, that was humorous to me too, but I, uh, you know... Uh, religious people, as long you know, they try to do good, but if you threaten what they believe, if you're not careful, and they say they'll die for it, but that means they'll kill for it too. And so um, <laughs> that's not the kind of religious person Jesus was. That's not the kind of religious person this church is trying to be. Jesus was willing to die for it, but he wasn't willing to kill for it. That all right? Is that too heavy for you? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he spreads his arms out and he takes their hate that he might be a covering for their hate. And so uh, I want you to see that in this moment, uh, Jesus becomes a symbol of what threatened, insecure religious people will do and they kill him. But he's also a symbol of what political expedience ends up as. Uh, Pilate has no cause to kill him. Pilate has no cause to hurt him. Uh, But for political expediency... 
my reputation is worth more than your life. And so Jesus, ground by the mills of religious need and political fear, he's crucified. And Mary Magdalene sees it all, and it breaks her heart. But she's just one person. She cannot fix a broken world. Feel familiar? Sound familiar? She cannot fix a broken world. She is futile in the face of a broken world. And so what does she do? She weeps just like you. What do you do in the face of a futile world? You weep. What do you do in the face of trauma? You weep. What do you do in the face of loss? You weep. She weeps. And um, she, having led the care in her own way of the body of Jesus and having been there when he's buried, she goes alone. Uh, to the tomb on the day of his resurrection, and uh, there she is standing before an open tomb, and uh, she is weeping because the one who represented the hopes and dreams of her life, her her future, everything is now lost to her, and she is weeping, and uh, this is how the story goes. Jesus appears to her, and he says, uh, woman, why are you weeping? Now see what has happened. Uh, Mary has gone back to a tomb. She's broken in the face of inevitable pain and suffering. She is weeping there. Jesus says, why are you weeping? Jesus knows why she's weeping. The question is not about what God knows, but what she's ready to confess. This is the power of confession. God already knows what's wrong with you, but are you ready to confess it to him? Do you see? God already knows the pain in your life. He already knows what wakes you up at night. This isn't a mystery for God. He already knows. Why are you weeping? If you turn away without any conversance, if you turn away without opening your heart, if you turn away so no one will see you cry, it's not that God didn't know. It's that you weren't ready. Mary turns and says, they've taken away my Lord. And I know not where they have taken him. And he says to her, Mary. He speaks her name. And in that moment, she knows he's not just a gardener. My hope has not been held in a tomb. You see? I love this story. Where do you take your tears? God knows what's breaking your heart. Are you ready to talk about it? (laughs) It's almost too much real world truth, isn't it? (laughs) Are you ready to talk about it? You may not be ready. Let's be honest. You might want to hide. You might want to, you might want to, you're not, may not be ready to create a quiet space in your life where you turn off all the junk and you ask the Lord to meet with you. You not, may not be ready. You may not have suffered enough. I know there was a season in my life when I hadn't suffered enough. I wasn't, I wasn't really ready. I was still in my own solutions. And uh, even though I had grown up in church, uh, <laughs> my heart was as capable of being as backslidden and far from God as the most addicted, bound person in sin. And don't let, you tell, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Uh, I had to come to God with my tears. And I had to say, this is what I've got left. Can you do anything with it? So uh, in this moment, uh, Jesus has conquered death, he's conquered hell, and he says her name, and she's overcome with joy. He has turned her mourning into laughter. And uh, I will save the story. I may preach more on it on Easter. We'll see how that goes. I'm going to take, hear me today, this is my statement of faith. 
There's many things I don't know about the world. There's many things I don't know about this hour of our cultural moment. I admit things change fast. Uh, I admit that it's hard for one generation to know another. Most of us don't even try. We just sum them up in a label and are done with it. Uh, I don't know always how to help people. I don't know how to fix brokenness. my, My job would be better and I would be much more successful. I'd be one of those preachers who flew around in a private jet if I knew how to fix brokenness. I don't know how to do it. Uh, I always, always, always point people to the one who does know how to do it, though. That's all I ever know how uh, to do. But let me tell you, as a personal statement of faith, here it is. I'm taking all my tears to an empty tomb. I'm not taking them to a tomb. I'm taking them to an empty tomb. I'm taking all my pain to an empty tomb. I'm taking all my trauma I know I have trauma. Some of you are wondering why I have a mark on my face here today. I have two uh, observations. First of all, be careful back talking your wife. Number two, frying pans have amazing power uh, when they come flying across the room. Just kidding. My wife's awesome. Anyway, so I want you to see I'm taking it all to an empty tomb. I'm not taking it to a tomb. I'm not worshiping an ancestor. They lost the game too. I'm taking it to an empty tomb because at this empty tomb, God is going to say my name. Do you see? God is going to say my name. You have a promise in an empty tomb. You think that nothing's there and nothing is except a promise. And the promise is knit together with the fact that nothing is there. You see, if Jesus uh, was in the tomb, that would mean you should just be cynical. It would mean cynicism is the right answer. If Jesus was in the tomb, that would mean coping is your correct life choice. But since Jesus is not in the tomb, there's a slightly different answer. That means after sorrow comes joy. After night comes mourning. After trauma comes healing. Why? Look, y'all, the tomb is empty. Musicians, you can come. I want to very quickly, as I try to do, I want to try to end this practically. And I want to, having taken a spiritual uh, story, a spiritual, sacred, instructive story, I want to uh, try to give you uh, some practical takeaways from this. Uh, because the truth is, uh, because of Jesus Christ, we are able to take whatever is left of our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I have a big amen on that? And he is able to make us whole. The first thing I want to say is this. Point number one on the practical takeaway from a spiritual story. Point number one. You need to accept help and you need to accept support from other people that God has placed in your life. You were not meant to do this alone. Mary, this news is not just for you. I want you to run and tell the other disciples. You need to accept support and help in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 4. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. So when others are troubled, we're able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Takeaway number one is God can make your, you whole and you should include other people in the testimony and you should tell other people that God can make them whole too. 
Galatians 6, verse number 2. By helping carry each other's troubles and burdens, you are obeying the law of Christ. Do you see? Takeaway number one. Accept help, give help. Accept support, give support. Takeaway number two. We all have tears in our life, right? I'm getting ready to give you number two. We all have trauma. We all have pain. It's not God's fault. It breaks his heart too. You say, how, if you're still at, how could God let this happen? You're not ready. You're still an inch deep. You can, you can say he shouldn't have given free will, but once he gave free will, you can no longer say it's his fault. Okay, so I want you to see number two. Focus on what is true, not on how you feel. How you feel will feel true, and it's okay to acknowledge it. In fact, it's helpful in your communication to learn how to say, this feels true to me. In fact, if you're fighting with your uh, significant other, (laughs) one thing you need to learn how to say is, this feels true to me, rather than say, this is true. Feels true, right? And so uh, focus on what is true, not on how it feels. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 8, we were crushed and completely overwhelmed, and we thought we'd never live through it. We expected to die, but as a result, we learned not to trust in ourselves, but on God. Trust in what is true, not in what feels true. Uh, Secondly, remember Jesus saying to his disciples, John 8, the truth will set you free. So uh, let me give you some things that are true about trauma, about pain, loss, and suffering. Number one, trauma is not your fault. Now let me say that slightly different because there are exceptions and I think uh, it helps us to be as authentic and Uh, honest as we can and let me say that uh, there may be some situations where the trauma is your fault Um, all of us do dumb things Um, but if God's willing to forgive you then you need to be willing to forgive you all right you're not better than God and you don't know better than God and if God's willing to forgive you maybe you should let judgment stay in the hands of God let me continue trauma is not my identity Loss is not my identity. Pain is not my identity. And finally, trauma, loss, pain is not my future. All right, so number one, accept and give help. Accept and give support. Number two, focus on what is true, not on what feels true. Number three, uh, don't waste any energy on revenge. Learn how to forgive. Practice forgiveness. Don't ask yourself whether or not they deserve it. Leave that with God. Practice forgiveness forgiveness because forgiveness is something you will get better at and let me say it differently forgiveness is something you need to get better at your future capacity for joy is related to your ability to forgive is that helpful helps me your future capacity for joy is related to your ability to forgive forget whether or not they deserve it assume they don't if it helps But God forgave them and God forgives you and let it live within you. Romans 12 and 19, don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. 
I'll do the judging and I'll take care of it, God says. That's the message translation. How about Proverbs 16 and 12? Good leaders do not tolerate evil because justice is what makes a government strong. Justice is not in our hands, but that does not mean there is not justice. Lamentations 2 and 19, CEV version. Get up and pray for help all through the night. Pour out your feelings to God as you would pour water out of a jug. I love the way the translator says that. So number three, don't waste energy on revenge. The person who pursues grave, uh, revenge is like a person who digs a grave for two. Old famous saying. Number four, trust in God for the strength to recover. If you go by whether or not you feel like you have the strength to recover, you'll never get started because you don't. Particularly in that moment, you don't. Now, there may a day come where you get better at coping and you'll do better. That's, that's fine. But I, I want you to believe that even if you don't have the strength to make it through, God has the strength to bring you through. Even if you don't have the strength to be made whole, God is the great physician, somebody. Even if you don't know how to navigate the complexity of your life, let me tell you, you are not lost. God has your hand in his. And trust God for the strength to recover. Jeremiah 29 and 11. The plans I have for you are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to give you hope and a future. How about Job chapter number 11, verse number 13 through 19? Give your whole heart to God. Hold out your hands for him to help. Then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm without fear. Then all your troubles will fade from your memory like water under a bridge. Your life will be brighter than sunshine at noon. And life's darkest hours will shine like the dawn. You will live secure and full of hope. God will protect you and give you rest. You won't be afraid of your enemies. In fact, many people will ask you for help. Stand with me all across the house. Several things here are going to happen all at once. I'm going to pray over you and then... We're going to open this front. It's the culture of our church to have an altar time. Our praise and worship team is going to lead us in praise and worship. If you're comfortable, if you've already been vaccinated, if if you're comfortable, you have already had it, I'd like to encourage you to feel free to come down to the front. Help me as a pastor recreate the altar culture of our church. We don't want to lose that. And now after a year of COVID, we're having to fight for it. So uh, those of you who are comfortable um, and you'd like to come down to take a step deeper into worship, that's our church. That's what we do. We don't want to lose that. If you want to stay where you are, you're welcome to stay where you are. But this is what I want to have happen. If you have a need, I want you to believe that, that right now God can meet your need. We pray in this time for healing. Somebody say amen. 
We pray for deliverance in this time right now. We pray for people to be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit manifest by tongues. Not for us, but for you. So you'll have the confidence transformation in uh, your life. All that's going to happen right now. At any time, those of you who have visited with us today, uh, if you need to be dismissed, if you want to slip out, you're welcome to slip out at any time. We're so glad you've taken a chance on us and joined with us. We hope we've hosted you well. Uh, We'd love to get to know you. Uh, You can come back at uh, 1 o'clock for the uh, first steps and get to know the pastoral staff. But right now, we're taking a step deeper into worship in this house. Our team's going to help us. And all across the church house, we're going to take a step deeper into his presence. Let me pray for you right now as all this begins to happen. Lord Jesus, I am praying for everyone who is here in this house. I'm praying for every individual who has been attacked by the enemy. Uh, Like Mary Magdalene, they have been assaulted by their spiritual enemy. And they need spiritual renewal and spiritual reckoning in their life. Would you begin to work in their heart and life here today? Would you begin to lead them? I pray for the person who feels like they have nothing left. I pray that you administer to them in this moment. I pray that your anointing would flow into their heart. In Jesus' name, don't let us leave here the way we came. But let us be touched by your power. Let us be changed by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This altar is open. I'm going to be down here in the front. Feel free to come. I'll anoint you with oil. God bless you in this house. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.